Good afternoon. It's that time of the day when we all get a little bit sleepy and drowsy and we've had some lunch. It's wonderful and cool in here, so uh, let's pay attention to the precious Word of God. Let's turn to James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 to 18. That is the next sort of natural section, I guess. It's hard to tell in James. Um, so we're going to read together James 5, 13 to 18. Getting to the end of James 5 and um, slowing down a little bit, but not on purpose. Verse 13 is, Anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is there anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of God, and reading that passage of scripture, I'm sure you all understand why uh, the end is not going to be as short as you think it is, or as close as you think it is, kind of like that mountain Pastor Sam was talking about. You can see it right there, but you have no idea how long it's going to take for you to get there. So at this point, I have no idea how long it will take. I have it planned out. Anyway, my intention was to deal with verse 13 only today, and I did not succeed. So here we are, James chapter 5, verse 13a. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And this morning there was a great testimony of Dame Mary, who suffered under the particular Baptists, and suffering is something that nobody is immune to. And so James comes to us. The word of God commands us, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he should pray. As James brings this letter to a close, we see him, and always by the Holy Spirit, instructing the churches as to the correct Christian response to the different themes raised in this letter. And you may remember last Lord's Day regarding the teaching of the Christian of the tongues, the Christian tongue, especially to those who are suffering under rich oppressors. They commanded not to invoke the name of God in their swearing against, in this case, probably their rich oppressors. And we noticed this was also a general command. It's not just for those who are suffering oppression. Don't curse those who oppress you. But it's a general command not to invoke God's name in swearing unless we're necessary and permitted and then with careful consideration, as we noted even in our confession. And James follows our Lord's teachings in the gospel. It's a call really to dependable Christian character we observed last week. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. A Christian's word is his witness. Uh, 
Now, in this passage before us, James seems to do the same thing, bringing back a previous theme in this epistle and kind of drawing it to a close. And this is regarding the trials of different kinds that come to every believer and have formed a very big part of this epistle, right from chapter 1 and verse 1, in fact. What is the Christian's correct response to trials, suffering, persecution, and all of these things were applicable? And by the way, all of these things are applicable today, and sickness. And Lord willing, next time we will consider what the correct Christian's correct response is in times of peace, prosperity, and joy. And the short answer is that believers are called to constancy, to be constant in their work, whether suffering or at ease, whether in plentiful or whether in want, whatever your circumstances, sick in your body like Day Mary for the most part of her life and suffering, as, any, as in fact many in our own number are who suffer protracted illnesses. The short answer is we call to Christian constancy. Even as our walk on this earth, we may be exposed to the full spectrum of human experience, from intense suffering, from persecution, and even death, as some martyrs were, and we are not excluded from that, depending how long you live, depending what happens, even in this great free country, we could face persecution, or our children, or our grandchildren, and even death for our faith in Christ, as well as the blessed and prosperous and uh, peaceful seasons God graciously gives to his people. The Christian is to be constant in these. I love that hymn of John Bunyan. It comes from the word, comes words come from Fulgrim's Progress. Uh, who would true valor see? Let him come hither. One here will constant be, come wind, come weather. No matter what is happening around me, there's no discouragement shall make him once relent his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim. Now, it's not a very Baptist sermon this afternoon. There are not three points at all. In fact, I really just have one main point and then two questions. So we could actually get to a perfect Baptist three-point sermon. Just kidding. Um, we have one main point this afternoon, followed by two questions uh, by way of application, really, and lessons regarding suffering and, in particular, prayer that we are commanded to in suffering. If you want a title, it's also my main point, which is this. The remedy for times of, of, of sorrow and suffering. The remedy for times of sorrow and suffering. And we include sorrow because suffering doesn't come with parties. So suffering comes with sadness and grief even. Is anyone among you suffering it's a simple text and command today, let him pray. What does James mean? Let's first see what he means suffering by suffering. The Greek word for suffering means to suffer evil, to suffer bad things, or to experience painful hardship. 
And then the Greek lexicon, or one of them, says, it's not only to suffer, but to endure trials, hardships, troubles, and to be afflicted. Mind, body, soul, in every way, whatever the suffering might be. The word used here for suffering is the same word used in Timothy twice, 2 Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, we read, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Hardship, suffering, want, pain, anger, beauty, and loss, all these spectrum of human emotions and suffering in particular. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Enduring suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And the verb suffering here is a broad meaning. It encompasses any form of external or internal hardship. And, and if I first ask the question, is anyone suffering this afternoon? Maybe just two or three hands. But if we look at suffering as all of these things, all of these hardships, all of these trials, the many trials, the body and the mind, and the anguish of soul and all these, I bet a lot more hands would go up. And while believers may be tempted to react to difficulties and trials and temptation and suffering with grumbling or anger and disappointment, James reminds us that there is one clear response to suffering. Let him pray. We need to note something important here, which is what I've been trying to say. James is not posing a question, is someone, is any among you suffering, in the sense of, uh, is this possibly a problem in your church, or in the unlikely event that someone is suffering, or even, don't be surprised if some of you are suffering, but it's, it's not like something that may happen to many people. No, it's more, more a statement of fact. It's more a case of when you are called to suffer, whether suffering evil or persecution or any kind of affliction, you should suffer. That is why this text is relevant in the 21st century in California. Is anyone among you suffering? The remedy is the same. Let him pray. The sense and reality are that suffering comes to everyone. And if you are not suffering here today in some way at all, it will come to you in due course. It will come to you. Suffering comes to every man who walks upon this earth, and that is normal. However, Christians are called to suffering. And what Christians are called to is something that is guaranteed for all God's children. Christ and the apostles all taught the necessity and the certainty of suffering for all who follow Christ. That is the gospel. We, in fact, will suffer more on this earth than the lawless man and the man who has no time for God in many cases. 
In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I th said these things to you, that my peace, that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will suffer, he said to his disciples, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So suffering is assumed and it's guaranteed. And, and First Peter, we've seen this in First Peter. First Peter, Peter is assuming suffering because he says in First Peter 3.14, yes, we're all suffering, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Suffering is part of any war, isn't it? The Ukraine war has been going on now for more than a year. Russia-Ukrainian war. And what's the outcome so far? Suffering. Suffering. And that's war. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to follow Christ is to enter a spiritual warfare for the rest of your life. You are at war against the world and against the flesh and against the devil. And you will face tribulation. You will suffer in this road from your sin and from your infirmities and the natural decay of your body and persecution and trial of many kinds. Is it worth being a Christian? This is a rough road that the apostles are talking about. This is guaranteed. You will have tribulation. You will have many trials of many kinds, as James has taught. Brothers and sisters, think for a minute on the Lord Jesus Christ, hundreds of years before he came. You know what he was prophesied as? The suffering servant of Jehovah in Isaiah. The suffering servant passages there. And when Jesus comes to earth, he quickly tells his disciples, this is true. This is true. Luke 17, 25, Jesus is talking about his glory and about his new kingdom and all these things. And then he stops and he says to the disciples, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. We are not exempt. We must suffer many things too and be rejected by this generation. Paul in Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe on him, but also suffer for him. And even in this chapter, verses 7 to 11, chapter 5 we've looked at, believers have already been encouraged to be patient in suffering until the coming of the Lord. And Pastor Sam said this morning, pray and keep praying until Jesus returned. And now... We have the examples also of the prophets in verse 10 that we saw as an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who, who spoke in the name of the Lord. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, reminds us of the suffering as Christ as an example to us. In chapter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, not so that you don't have to suffer, leaving you an example to follow, so that you might follow in his steps. And Paul considered suffering for Christ, for the sake of the gospel, a privilege. 
in Philippians 3, eight, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He regarded suffering for Christ as partaking in Christ's suffering. He wrote that in verse 10 of the same chapter in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share with him in his sufferings. Brothers and sisters... This is for us today also. This is reality, suffering. And it's it's many kinds. Persecution, suffering for doing good, suffering under temptation, suffering infirmities of the body, suffering of the mind. Many of you experience depression and other diseases of the mind which are debilitating, which are hard, which is suffering, suffering in old age, a decay of my body, I'm feeling it. It starts happening when you turn 50. So even if you think you're young, it's coming to you. There is no suffering, Paul is saying, that is not prayer worthy. If anyone is suffering, he should pray. That's the command to every believer who's suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's what Paul is to, uh, James is talking about here. And that's the command to every one of us. And it's applicable to every one of us with the different suffering that we experienced. And it is so intimate and very applicable to those who suffer long, uh, like, like Mary that we saw this morning, and like many in our church even. And this may come to us. Is anyone suffering? He should pray. And that's good. But in my mind, that left two questions. Two questions. And I just want to answer these two questions uh, by way of application too, as we consider this command to pray. Why must we pray when we are suffering? Why must we pray when we are suffering? Is it going to mean my suffering is going to go? Well, surely God answers prayers. But it doesn't necessarily mean that at all. So why, the, why this extra chore, if you like, that I'm suffering? Just grin and bear it. Why must we pray when we're suffering? Well, the simple answer is because God commanded it. And if God commanded it, then that's a remedy for us. If God commanded it, then it means there is some good intended in it for us and for our souls and as a remedy to that suffering. And all of the Psalms are filled with prayers and with praises and with petition to God for salvation and delivering from many sufferings. The Psalms are full of that and they are prayers to God. The prophets and the priests and the kings of the Old Testament were commanded by God to pray, to pray for themselves, to pray for their people. And many of those prayers are beautiful prayers and are recorded for us. And God's people always have been commanded to pray. In fact, one of the very reasons God's people were suffering was because they did not pray and repent, like we heard this morning, Second Chronicles 7.14, that famous prayer for my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray 
Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Brothers and sisters, our Savior prayed. Our Savior prayed before the people. Our Savior prayed in front of his disciples. Our Savior prayed many, many hours, including when John the Baptist was beheaded. He withdrew himself and prayed for hours. He went into the desert to be tempted, and he prayed for days. When Jesus was afflicted and tempted, he prayed. He prayed. Any among you suffering, you should pray. He prayed in anguish there in the garden before his suffering. He prayed in anguish as he cried out on the cross that God had forsaken him. And his last words on the cross were in fact a prayer. Into my hands I commit my spirit. Listen to the testimony of the apostle, I wasn't going to say Paul, and it probably is Paul, in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered our prayers and supplications with loud cries and trials to him who was able to, to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And he among you, suffering, he should pray. Brothers and sisters, we are to pray when we are suffering because God hears us. When we pray to him with reverence and there is encouragement and there is help at the throne of grace in our time of need. And then we should pray. And guess what? Even our Savior didn't always get instant deliverance from his prayers. He didn't. So the help is not necessarily that your infirmity will be removed or the trial will be taken care of. But there is help and protection, what Christ experienced on, a, on the cross. There is a strengthening of our faith as we commit our suffering to him in prayer. And at last, and at last, if not in this life, in the life to come, when Christ comes again, that suffering will finally be removed forever. No more crying, no more pain, no more tears for all eternity. That's why we need to pray. God commands it. That's why we need to pray, because as it is for our good and for our help and for our protection and for the strengthening of our faith, it is a means of grace for us to pray here in the church Pray without ceasing. Pray on every occasion. Do not be anxious about anything, says Philippians, because that will bring peace in the pain if you pray and calm in the storm. If you pray when you're suffering, it will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You recognize the passage? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, in your suffering, in your trials of many kinds, and even in your sin as you come to him and you pray for forgiveness because of the suffering of your own sin. Our prayers 
are not going to take away all our afflictions and sufferings. Probably not. In some cases, yes. And if we are delivered from a suffering, believe me, it's just to prepare us for the next trial of many kinds that Christ will bring to us. All these things, whatever we experience, whatever hardship, whatever trial, whatever infirmity, whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever anxious thoughts in our mind, whatever the cause of your suffering, they come from the hand of God. They are for our good and they are for His glory. And they will remain for a season until the Lord sees fit to remove them. And only in glory will we be free from all affliction and pain and suffering forever. And the last reason why we have to pray and why we ought to pray and why we are commanded to pray is this. Because we have a high priest at the Father's hand who ever lives to intercede for us. Jesus is literally standing. He's on standby as it is for the prayers of the saints. The priests of the Old Testament had to intercede on their behalf and then intercede with sacrifices on behalf of the people, mediators between God and man. Christ is the perfect high priest and mediator of his people. And get this, when Christ was the Son of Man, he offered prayers for himself. But Jesus stands at the Father's throne, no longer offering any prayers for himself because he's been restored to the glory he had before the world began. All his prayers were answered. He was delivered. His soul was delivered from death as he died and took sin, our sin, upon himself and suffered the death of that sin my friends, this is more reason to pray. Jesus is standing here and the golden bowl of incense is there. And Jesus is standing by at the Father's right hand. You know what's in the bowl? The prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints are an incense, a sweet-smelling incense before God. That is why we should pray. And Christ hears our prayers. And God hears our prayers, and he answers our prayers for Christ's sake, because he is the great mediator, the great high priest of his people. That is why we must pray when we are suffering and sorrowful. And some people have asked me this very question, why must I pray if there's no relief I, I don't know if I can make it to wait for eternity. But there is help and there is relief even in our suffering when we pray. So we must pray if we are suffering. Now, the next question is also a very important question. What should we pray for when we are suffering? And we're coming to the end, and, and this is the final point of application, really, there are many requests and prayers and desires that we set before God in prayer. And this is right, because Philippians teaches us in everything, silly things and anxious things in your heart and mind, bring them to the Lord in prayer. Jesus says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but prayer and supplication. Present all your requests to God. At the same time, 
the scriptures teach us in 1 John chapter 5 specifically, when we pray, when we are taught to pray, to pray according to God's will. And by praying according to the known will of God, John says, gives us a level of confidence that our prayers will be answered. Listen to the verse, 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests required of him. And young people, teenagers, I bet you're going to come to me and say, how must I ask? What can I ask that I can be guaranteed that my parents will say yes to me? Well, if only it were that way. But this is teaching us something. This is teaching us, as we know very well, we pray for things that sometimes are selfish, and the Lord forgives us for reverent and honest prayers. And we pray for things that we really have no idea is it God's will to raise up our dear sister Dana and Kim from their infirmities and that dear sister Mary who suffered all her life, she was never raised by, from her infirmities because how can we know God's will? So when James commands the church, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Brothers and sisters, we can go to the scriptures today with this level of confidence in 1 John chapter 5, so we ask again, what shall we pray for when we are suffering? And I have eight things. Eight things, and as I did these, I thought of many more, and as we go, I hope you think of more to add to this list. Things that we can ask for with absolute confidence that the Lord has promised if we pray according to his will. And if you are suffering, here are some things that we should pray for. Number one, pray like the Lord Jesus Christ prayed. Number one, pray like the Lord Jesus Christ prayed. And there are two occasions that came to mind to me immediately when I thought on this point. How did the Lord Jesus Christ pray? Well, the first was when he taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's how Jesus prayed. As the Son of Man, as the incarnate God on earth, prayed according to God's will. And the second is that Christ himself prayed in this manner. And again, I want to take you back to the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ, I don't know if you noticed that in the passage, fell on his face. Christ fell on his face in the garden reverently, because the scriptures tell us that. We read the portion later after the fact. Reverently fell on his face before God three times. The same prayer. Here it is. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. This is the Son of God. Praying to God the Father to remove a cup of suffering. Not as I will, but your will be done. Not as I will, but your will be done. And as we observed in Hebrews 7, he was heard because of his reverence. 
That is how the Son of Man prayed with great reverence and that the Father's holy will would be done. Lord, surely this is the best for me. Surely it is best for me that I can serve my family and my church. I cannot do this with this infirmity. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The second one, we can pray with great confidence. How do we pray when we are suffering and filled with sorrow? Pray that you will have the mind to rejoice in your suffering. That's why I included in the heading, Sorrow and Suffering. Count it all joy we studied in the beginning of this book when you meet trials of various kinds. Yes, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, in each and every circumstance. Rejoice, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. We're not crazy people. I love suffering. Afflict me. No, but we suffer and we're sorrowful and it's difficult and the trial is hard. But I can rejoice in my soul. I am patient. In my soul, I'm settled. In my soul, my faith is in God. And I rejoice because of the effect that this trial is going to have on me. The Lord Jesus Christ is preparing me for eternity. And it's the knowledge of the purpose of God in the suffering that causes us to rejoice. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Therefore, we can rejoice even in tribulation and affliction. And in 5 and verse 11 of James, we, we studied earlier, we all we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, the prophets. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, that he is compassionate and merciful. Pray that you will have the mind to rejoice in your sufferings. Number three, pray that you might count your sufferings a privilege. There is some suffering that is a special kind of suffering. And it is those who have suffered for Christ. If you read Revelation, there's a special place and special honor for those whose blood was spilt for the sake of the gospel. For those who suffered because of the gospel. And yes, we do suffer and we can suffer for the sake of Christ when we are rejected, when we are scorned, when we are mocked, when we are passed over for, for, for increases and promotions and different Trials and difficulties that come because of our faith count it a privilege when we suffer for Christ. That special kind of suffering that many experience down through the years. Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, says Paul, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a privilege to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, pray that you will know that you suffer with Christ and one another. Pray that you will know that you suffer with Christ and with one another. We suffer with one another. When a member is suffering, 
We together with one voice we pray here in the afternoons and we suffer with them and we plead to God's throne for them. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all members suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice. We had cake this afternoon. We rejoice that a milestone has been achieved and we rejoice, we rejoice in each other's joys and we share in each other's sufferings. And I've already mentioned Paul considered his suffering as sharing Christ's suffering with him. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Pray that you will know that you will suffer with Christ and one another. Number five, pray that you will patiently endure your suffering. Pray that you would patiently endure your suffering. It's like the coming of the Lord. It's imminent, as Pastor Sam told us. It's here. It's upon us. It's the certainty. It's the certainty because we do not know the time. So we pray that we will patiently endure our sufferings. They will be lifted. God will hear the prayer. It's going to be answered. That's the certainty. Lord, help me endure. We don't know the timing, but we can see it. It's coming. Pastor Sam explained that so well this morning. Patiently endure. And we saw this in James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. How long must I be patient, Lord, patient with this infirmity of my body? Until I come. Until I come. And maybe that will be lifted. And maybe another will be given to you, more severe or less severe. But we see it. We see it and we patiently endure. James 5.10 is an example of suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We spoke about that last week and how they suffered a few weeks ago. Pray that you would patiently endure your sufferings. What must we pray when we are suffering and sorrowful? Number six. Pray that your suffering will produce endurance and steadfastness. We've touched on this. Romans 5 and verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And the opening of this letter referred to the same thing. For you know the testing of your faith develops steadfastness. And if you consider that maybe you're suffering because you're not that steadfast, because you're not that faithful, because you're not that ready to share the gospel, because you're not that committed to living a holy life, because you're not that committed to fighting sin, but you still entertain it. The testing of your faith produces steadfast. Pray that your suffering will produce steadfastness. And then let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything which will happen in glory. Two more. What do we pray for when we're in suffering and sorrow? Pray that you would confess your sins to God and to one another. In fact, we'll see later on in this chapter at the end of James Sometimes we get sick because we sin. Did you know that? 
It's a fact. The Holy Spirit says so in this book. Pray that you will confess your sins to God and to one another. We'll consider this command in coming weeks. It's in verse 16, James 5, we read, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed. And finally, what should we pray for when in suffering and in sorrow? The first one, to pray like the Lord Jesus Christ. Most important. The last one, most important. Pray that your suffering would bring glory to God. Pray that your suffering would bring glory to God. Not your own ease, not your own comforts, your own sanctification. Yes, pray with that. It's a promise. It's a guaranteed answer to that prayer. But pray that your suffering would bring glory to God. We've already noted that, that our suffering is for our own good, for the favorable outcome it produces in our lives. As was said of Christ, it, it's a very difficult to understand verse at face value when Hebrews said, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. The Father glorified the Son because of his obedience and suffering as the Son of Man. The Father glorified him. Why? So that ultimately the Father would be glorified. And I bet you think you've already the passage in Philippians chapter 2. After Jesus humbling himself, taking the form of a man and of a servant, and becoming our sacrifice and becoming obedient to the Father unto death, in his suffering, what does it say? And God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. What's the last phrase? To the glory of God the Father. Do you remember John, the Gospel of John? Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. In all that we do, in all that we say, in our suffering and in our joys, pray that God would be glorified. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we are ashamed when we think of our suffering, and our grumbling, and our disappointment, and our discontentment when you afflict us with different things, and how we are quick to pray, Lord, deliver me from this suffering. Deliver my sister. Deliver my brother. Deliver this loved one who's been suffering so long. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray aright. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as he kept his eyes fixed on the cross and for the glory to follow. Oh, Father, help us to glorify you in our lives, in times of sorrow and in times of suffering. Strengthen our faith. Give us endurance. Teach us to pray like our Savior and that we may pray that our lives may glorify you. For we pray this in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen.